I'm Mike. I'm Chris. And I'm Scott. Welcome to DMs Discuss, where this week DMs will discuss the end of the OGL controversy. Question mark? Question mark. <laughs> Question mark. There might still be some controversy, but for now, at least, um, they have seen the overwhelming response from the community, and it looks like the OGL 1.0a is here to stay, and they are just immediately scrapping uh, 1.2, which yeah, is so fantastic news based on all of our feedback around it. I know we were all on the same page about uh the 1.2 ogl yeah so if you're if you're wondering what we're talking about and you've been living under a rock or something like that in the last few weeks <laughs> uh the ttrpg community had a quite a backlash to wizard trying to change the ogl uh the open gaming license if you want to hear more about that episode 19 i believe we go yeah. into the details etc but uh wizards did release a statement um a few days ago by kyle brink talking about playtest feedback and uh we'll just kind of go through that but kyle posted here uh, and we'll link it in the show notes but when you give us playtest feedback we take it seriously already more than fifteen thousand of you have filled out the survey here's what you said and maybe we'll go through each of these points and just kind of give our feelings about it but 88 percent do not want to publish ttrpg content under ogl 1.2 yeah nobody wants to use it because it basically uh means that if they want to subscribe to it they can't have any kind of uh like advanced vtt there was a ton of things that um they were adding that essentially would just allow them to take over control of, well no they took away the take back but it would allow them to just essentially say like no you can't license this because we say so we say that this violates this one policy so therefore you cannot license your material with us so not surprised if people don't want to use it I mean, it really comes as no shock, especially when you consider the fact that most TTE, like virtual tabletops, already violated that policy, <laughs> like in their current state. Yeah, it's it's interesting. I mean, I, I personally didn't put a ton of weight on that VTT policy, but after our discussion and like thinking about it, like, yeah, I could see how some of those companies like Forge and Roll20 and things like that, like if they want to advance their product. Um, and like like you guys said, even some of them already had things in there that would violate that VTT policy. So, um, yeah, I could see that being a, a barrier to uh, to them wanting to adopt it. Um, yeah, 100 percent. Yeah. Next point here. Ninety percent would have to change some aspect of their business to accommodate the OGL 1.2. I mean, it's not surprising, you know, all the stuff we went over last week, right, is just, you know, it would have affected everyone who does some form of D&D adjacent, you know, kind of publishing or creation. Yeah, and I think when it comes to like the the financial reporting aspect of it, and I, I know they scrapped a lot of that in, in like the upcoming drafts. Um, but even so, like I'm assuming some of this sentiment is like leftover ire from the original. <laughs> so like even though they changed it, I'm sure some people are still kind of pissed off the original. But, you know, even like you said, the creator badges... I don't see the creator badges being being a, a big thing. Um, yeah, and I mean, they were going to be um, voluntary with 1.2. I think the bigger portion of it was like the inability to sell anything that you are licensing under 1.2 really without making it free to the public. So like creators that have Patreons and shit like that that are 
uh, like making maps and saying, oh, this is a map of this area in Faerun. We're like going to have to start reporting their their income or we're going to have to uh, start making all of the things they were making free uh, and not be able to actually like paywall any of that stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Part of the part of the 1.2 was the actual like deauthorization of 1.0a. So you don't really I mean, I could see if they released 1.2 and said, you know, here's we're, we're going to create this license and you're going to get X, Y, Z in addition. And here are the new terms. But if you choose, you can still publish under 1.0a. But uh, 1.2 had aspects of deauthorizing 1.0a completely saying you're not allowed to use that license anymore. Uh, and one of the survey metrics they got back was 89% of, of respondents were dissatisfied with deauthorizing the OGL 1.0a. Yeah, I mean, they took steps in 1.2 to make it so that it wouldn't be retroactive. Um, I think the 89% dissatisfied the OGL 1.8 being deauthorized was when they were uh, talking about completely making all even previous content need to be reauthorized under 1.2. Um, it would have been the same. Yeah, yeah. but even, even then, though, like, I know in the, in, the, in the upcoming drafts where they said, like, you know, going forward, you're going to have, like, a six-month grace period to, you know, if you're currently working on content, you would have to, you get a six-month grace period to, like, update your content to 1.2. Um, I think there was like, there was some grace period built in, but at the end of that grace period, you could no longer use 1.0a. Like 1.0a would be fully deauthorized and you couldn't use it going forward for any any new stuff. And that's yeah. what I think people were, were pissed about too, because at that point, after that little grace period, you no longer have a choice. Yeah. You have to publish under 1.2. Yeah. Um. Yeah, 86%. Th this one surprised me because <laughs> I, I didn't know that this was like, there was such big pushback on this part, but... I'm surprised it wasn't higher. Really? Yeah. Uh, so 86% <laughs> were dissatisfied with the draft VTT policy. Yeah, it was just uh, on its face, like blatantly anti-competitive bullshit, and it never should have been included. Yeah, I can see that. I guess from my point of view, like, because I don't play... Like, I play on Roll20, and I run a relatively, like... I would say low tech game. Mm -hmm. Like I, I don't go all out with the VTT. Like the the most complex feature I use in Roll Twenty is probably the the fog, and like hiding in revealing areas. I don't mm -hmm. really touch their line of sight or or like other stuff like that. But I know there are some more advanced VTTs that this policy would really hurt. Um, me personally, the VTT policy, like I didn't feel all that bad about it. But I know you and Chris were pretty outspoken because you use these VTTs that kind of have these advanced features. Well, yeah, exactly, because like the implications of it are, you know, like I have spent money on buying like animated spell effects and things like that. And that policy, like I was like, well, is this going to mean that Forge is going to remove the ability to upload animated like tokens and I can't use these anymore? Yeah. And also, don't forget that also they have the vision set on tokens and the auras set on tokens. Those yep. also technically violate the VTT. So like you wouldn't be able to say, here's how far my light goes out from my character, because that's not yeah, recreating that's your fucking tabletop experience, right? Yeah. Your tabletop experience, you'd have to look at it and measure. Oh, it's six squares out, so I can see this far. Uh, or, or you'd have to lay down like plastic things. But they wanted to take away the ability to have vision and light and shit like that on tokens. Because I think one of the cool things about playing, especially in like Chris's Forge games on, on the maps that he uses for Forge, uh, or the maps that we use like in, in person in those games, uh, is the 
added intrigue of line of sight and not being able to see around corners and like all of that stuff that you don't really get in a tabletop game. Like somebody can just peek around a corner and they're gone out of line of sight and you have no idea where they went. Right. Whereas like you don't really get that in tabletop games most of the time. Yeah. And being able to have like proper dark vision and stuff like that. A player's like, oh, it's dark in here. I can't see anything. I better pull out a torch. Yeah. Or, or the one boss you did with like the shifting, changing map that changed with different forms and things like that. Oh, yeah. Also that wouldn't be able to do that because <laughs> that's not recreating your, your normal tabletop experience. If you can just like shift the lighting and change the map in person, you would have to like take 10 minutes to set that up. Yeah, and I mean, for certain companies, like, I'm sure certain companies, like, are not affected by aspects of this. Like, if you're not a VTT, then that policy really doesn't apply to you, and your books are still valid, and people can still buy old published materials, et cetera, et cetera. But if you're something, like, if your entire business is, like, Forge, and, like, that's what you are, you're a company that produces a VTT, then, yeah, I could see this, like, limiting the appeal of your product. Yeah. I mean, even as a player, like I would like the tabletops to be more interactive and cool. Like we don't use it a lot, but I've played in a game that uses fantasy grounds. Fantasy grounds take so much of the fucking work out of it because you can literally just select the tokens that you want to cast something at, click roll, and it will roll all the saves, it'll roll all the damages, all of that. So what is stopping them from adding a feature where like a little puff of fire goes from my character and hits all of the tokens that I just fired that at? Uh, like what's stopping that? outside of a vtt policy that says no that's too much like a video game fuck you yeah like i said i'm i i don't like delve into it too much but i can definitely see the appeal in it i mean i see the appeal of having a little flashy thing or like i think it just reinforces and adds a bit more immersion to the to the play so i absolutely see the the appeal in it for sure um yeah and then and then moving on one of the last stats here was 62 percent were satisfied with including the systems reference document so the srd 5.1 mm-hmm. Uh, content in creative comments uh creative commons and the majority of those who are dissatisfied asked for more srd content in creative commons so this one like to me so the srd is a systems reference document this thing is a, a beast it's like over 300 pages um it has all all the references to the D system so uh things like checks and saves etc there are also certain monsters in the like, for example, there's a noble stat block. There's a knight stat block. Mm-hmm. These are all in the SRD. And um, survey respondents wanted that SRD move to Creative Commons. Um, and I guess the majority were like, the majority of the dissatisfaction was like, we want more. Uh, how do y'all feel? I mean, I think it's good. I think it makes sense. And also, it makes sense to add more to it because there's been so much new published uh, in D&D that I think some things definitely could be added. Because if you look at the stat blocks, they are, you know, pretty basic, either existing creatures or like standard fantasy. Um, But adding more to that would really, I think, improve the freedom of like publishers to add new stuff. Like Spelljammer is, you know, out now. Uh, But I don't think anything from like that is in the SRD. Yeah, that's not part of the standard game yet, right? Space uh, space adventure. But adding, you know, a little bit of that. I'm not saying everything, but adding some of, like, the new core stuff that's come out over the last, you know, like, dozen or so books. Who knows? Yeah, I think, like, basic setting rules and things make sense. They don't need to add every stat block or every, like, vehicle or any of that stuff. But, like, some of the basics of being able to run a game in any of the things that they've released, I think would be cool. The thing for me is that under 1.2, they were only going to be publishing like the basic rule set under Creative Commons, whereas now it's actually the SRD, which has like all of the uh, the stat blocks and things like that. I think it's good. 
I think that they kind of have to do this if they're going to do anything with Creative Commons at all, because the rule set really can't be copyrighted anyway. So like releasing it under a Creative Commons makes like no sense because legally you can't you can't copyright an instruction set which is what game rules have been ruled to be by the Supreme Court like a number of times. Yeah, I've, I've heard a little bit about that where like there's certain mechanics like rolling dice. You can't copyright that. That's just too like, you know, it's not specific enough. And um, like, I'm not, you know, like none of us are. Who wants to bet that someone at Hasbro asked if they could? <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, what about the dice? Surprised. Are we doing anything to make money off dice? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, they do make quite digital dice, dice, but. Actually, yeah, yo, that's another thing. VTTs wouldn't be allowed to do their own custom crazy dice rolls like D&D Beyond has, mm. where you can buy different dice that have different visual effects. Uh, Yeah, I think, like, see, there, there's such gray areas. Like, this is uh. why I hate legal contracts, because there's such gray areas. <laughs> like, would that fall under the, like, not, because, yeah, I mean, I guess if you roll dice in real life, they don't spark and stuff like that. So, yeah, I would assume that's a visual effect they wouldn't be allowed to do, but... Man, some of the legal gray areas, like that's why I hate contracts and legal talk is just like, it's all interpretation, right? Also, you say that dice don't spark in real life, but I can show you a neat trick with a car battery and a, a tinfoil pan. <laughs> <laughs> I'll get you some dynamic dice. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Chris's in-person games are kind of wild. Not gonna lie. Yeah, I'm going to play a fire mage and just dip my dice in gasoline and just, <laughs> just light them up as I roll. <laughs> uh, don't try that at home. Um, but yeah, anyways, or do. Uh, we're not your parents, whatever. Yeah, you're uh, <laughs> <laughs> at your own discretion. <laughs> but anyways, um, yeah, I mean, the, the post goes on to say these live survey results are clear. You want OGL 1.0 a you want uh, irre- irrevocability. I think that's how you pronounce that. You like creative commons. Uh, feedback is in such high volume and its direction is so plain that we're acting now. So originally the playtest was set to go for like a certain number of weeks, but I think like really early on into it they're just like okay like you guys win <laughs> yeah they so, got fifteen thousand responses in six days so. and they're like yeah all right we give up <laughs> um so number one they're leaving the ogl 1.a in place as is untouched no changes to it they're making the entire srd 5.1 available under creative commons license and i'll kind of go into that a little bit and the number three is you choose what you prefer to use so i think there are some differences between using ogl 1.0a and just like uh, using the SRD, I think like if you're publishing under DMs Guild and stuff like that, like do you have to use? It's basically OGL 1.0a, but then DM Guilds puts a, a little more on top of it. Um, but then the SRD 5.1, like if you wanted to write adventures based on the SRD, um, you could also like publish those yourself. And well, you can actually have an adventure that you write that uses like an adult blue dragon, and then have the stat block in the adventure instead of having them have to go reference it somewhere else. So like going into the Creative Commons, uh, this Creative Commons makes the content freely available for any use. We don't control that license, cannot alter it or revoke it. It's open and irrevocable in a way that doesn't require you to take our word for it. And its openness means there's no need for a VTT policy. Placing the SRD under a Creative Commons license is a one-way door. There's no going back. Our goal here is to deliver what you wanted. So what about the goals that drove us when we started the process? There's a little bit of like uh, of, you know, fluff here and I'll, I'll just read it real quick. Mm-hmm. But yeah, yeah. we wanted to protect the D&D play experience into the future. We still want to do that with your help. We're grateful that this community is passionate and active because we'll need your help protecting the game's inclusive and welcoming nature. We wanted to limit the OGL to TTRPGs. 
With this new approach, we're setting that aside and counting on your choices to define the future of play. And then they go on to post the SRD 5.1 with Creative Commons. And by publishing it, it's like it's currently under Creative Commons already. They didn't want to leave any like questions in the air. They didn't want to like leave people wondering. So they just like went ahead and published it under Creative Commons. We'll be closing the OGL 1.2 survey now. We'll keep talking with you about how we can better support our players and creators. Thanks as always for continuing to share your thoughts. And then Kyle Brink, how'd y'all feel about it? Well, I mean, I see this as an absolute win for the community. Like not only did we maintain the status quo that everyone had was useful, we actually forced them to even like further codify it as being irrevocable by making them publish under Creative Commons. Yeah, I feel kind of the same way. I feel like uh, it was a huge win for the community and also creators in these kinds of spaces in general, because this will make other companies think twice before they try to kind of fuck over the communities in the same way. Yeah, and I think this is like, you know, sometimes you hurt somebody's feelings or you do something wrong. So you kind of, you know, you go a little extra in your apology to try and like make it up to them. I, I kind of see like... I feel that's what Wizards is doing here by putting things by putting SRD under Creative Commons. I think it's an extra step they didn't have to take, but I think they realized how badly they they <laughs> like lost trust, how badly like Yeah, they had to swing a little bit more in the community's favor to make a point. Yeah, I think yeah, so. They too. need to get some of those subscriptions back. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, they got hit pretty hard with people like unsubscribing from D D Beyond from what from what I've been hearing, so yeah. So how do you feel about like, do you see this as just like a, a kiss ass, like, we're really sorry, take us back? Or like, how do you feel about the intentions behind this? I mean, I have no doubt that they didn't want to do this. I think they just realized how colossally they had fucked up and underestimated the reaction from the community. And, you know, intentions be damned, it's what they've had to do, so... You know, I'm sure I'm sure a lot of people on the team are very happy about this because, uh, you know, last week we talked about how a lot of employees had spoken anonymously to reporters uh, about how they felt about it and they didn't like it. So I'm sure there are plenty of people at Wizards who are happy about this. Yeah, I think like there was a lot of people that were working at Wizards because it was a company they wanted to work at because they loved D&D and they didn't like the way that this was kind of targeting the community that they had they had loved and they had grown up loving right so i think this is again is a huge win for like everybody involved in the DD community just like not just players and dms but also the people that are making the game and the people that are making the future vtt knowing that they are making a product that people are going to use because they want to not because they're forced to because they've crushed all the competition with legislation yeah i mean I, like when we talk about things like you know the free market and and competition and things like that, like it's interesting because that gets thrown around in Western society. But at the same time, these big companies, they generally have the 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 legal muscle. Uh, they have the the money. Uh, they have a lot of like power and influence in the sphere, um, and they can take this like you know kind of big shark eat up all the little fish, take over smaller companies, buy out smaller companies. Um, you know, a lot of in the business world, a lot of startups have a goal of just being bought out, like yeah. going to a place where they can just get swallowed or absorbed by a bigger company, which, you know, things like D&D Beyond and, uh, you know, even down the line, like, for example, would I be would I be opposed to Hasbro buying out like Forge or something like that? 
know if they're going to take it in an appropriate direction and have the community involved and things like that. Cause it's much easier to kind of absorb one of those companies and stand up teams for those companies or keep, keep those people on and, and continue to build out the product with, with more backing and funding. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, <laughs> oftentimes uh, in my experience, some of these companies, they do that and they end up radically changing the way things are run or um, kind of changing the, not intention. What's the word I'm looking for? What you're talking about, what you're describing is essentially what Wizards did here with D&D Beyond, right? Wizards bought D&D Beyond without telling the guy who was responsible for the future of D&D at Wizards that they were doing it. So he was already working on a competitor to D&D Beyond, had like tension with the D&D Beyond team to begin with because he didn't like it, didn't want he was building a competitor. Yeah, I, I heard those things. I mean, like those are things that were reported on and allegedly that was his mindset. So yeah, I get that. But I mean... It's one of those things where, like, let's say Wizards or Hasbro were to buy out Forge and and work to improve it, and and they were on that same page and they had the same intentions and same message, and they were community focused. I have no issue with that, but clearly, some of their actions in the past few weeks and some of their actions in the Magic community, it's like, yeah, a lot of cash grabs. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah, I, I think one of the things I read about, and we'll link it in the show notes as well, is the the Gizmodo article, and um, you know some of the things that I was reading, especially over um, over the past weeks, is like there were people who were there for the OGL one point eight draft, one point oh eight drafting, and mm-hmm. the writing of that, and, and the the intention behind it was that it was not supposed to be irrevocable. It was not supposed to deauthorize. It was supposed to be this community permissive document that wasn't going anywhere. So. It seems like, uh, yeah, it seems like their their move to try and deauthorize it or move away from the original intention. I think that's a lot of what the what the sourness and and bitterness was. In, yeah, like D and D's popularity only exploded because of the OGL one point eight or one point oh eight license, right? Like companies like Dimension Twenty and Critical Role and all of those other like live plays, Taz, like all of these things only exist because of the one point oh eight license. And D&D's popularity was like catapulted because of these things in pop culture, because these people were taking the game that they loved and making something cool out of it and engaging a bigger audience and getting more and more people involved in the game. So to capitalize on that and be like, okay, well, now all of those people that are the reason that we're successful, now that we're successful, we also want some of the money you've been making uh, using this. Like it was just a, it was an absolute cash grab and a betrayal of the community to do that. Because Wizards and D&D Beyond would not have been as successful as they were without the things that they were then trying to, like, rein in and capitalize on. Yeah, like, honestly, I felt like, you know, like, if, if your parents bought you, like, a, a set of paints as a kid and you went on to become a famous, like, artist and your parents show up and they're like, so because we let you use the paint, we now would, like portions of all your sales <laughs> and you're like but i yeah, but I, I made analogy. all this like that. and they're like but we gave you the tools <laughs> 20 years ago yeah that's interesting and we would like a portion of the proceeds now <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's an interesting analogy i think it's when you put it that way it, it does sound absolutely fucking yeah. ridiculous um yeah so anyways maybe maybe some last words and then there's a there's a final kind of sentence in this gizmodo article that i want to read out because i think it's clever but uh yeah final thoughts 
Yeah, for me, I think uh, I don't know that this is the end of this discussion or the end of this like situation overall. I feel like Wizards is still going to try to do the capitalist thing and like try to put forth some changes going forward. And like there are some reasons that they would like necessarily have to do that. Like the idea that people could print just like horrendously racist and transphobic things like fucking Gygax's kid did and be protected by 1.0a like they need to i think using legislation against people that have done that work some of the arguments that have come out in court into like future documents or amendments to the existing but i don't think they need new versions i think they need to amend the existing to take into account like new technologies and things like that because like you also should be able to make wizards nfts like just using their images and shit straight up because i know that people have attempted to do that in the past so there are reasons to amend things i think that we probably haven't seen the end of this but for now, I think this is a great win for the community and just goes to show that consumers do have some power to push back against these giant conglomerates when they are trying to fuck with communities that we've built. Yeah, I, I would agree with that as well. You know, like this is this proves that when these companies do these things, that actually you can make a difference if you hurt their bottom line enough and, you know, don't let people get away with it. I hope that we keep up the same energy and have like a time where we all cancel Netflix to bring back all the shows that never got season two that should have. Uh, <laughs> I'm just saying, if we did it once, we can do it again. <laughs> yeah, I'd really like to see some more Firefly. I'm not gonna lie. I want season two of Inside Job. There you go. Hey, Firefly is interesting. I've, oh. I've never watched it. I've watched a few episodes, but uh, I got to sit down and find time to watch it because I know it's kind of like just a cult classic at this point. And um, yeah, I really got to get yeah, through that. Sure. I, I keep going back to like Battlestar Galactica. I mean, That's also my, like, good, go-to space but like show. Cowboys in Space, you gotta. <laughs> yeah. So final thoughts for me. I mean, um, this is the world we live in. Uh, we live in a world where making money is important. And some of these companies, that's kind of what they have their sights on. They they're in meetings and they're trying to find a way to improve their bottom line. And sometimes they make plays like this. And, you know, you know that they're reviewing graphs, you know, that they're looking at subscriptions, you know, that they're all push, 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 push. Uh, what can we do to to get more and, and have consumers spend more? And I don't necessarily think there's there's wrong anything wrong with that approach. Um, but as consumers, we have a right to to do our research and to support the companies that we align with. And I think this move by Wizards uh, and by Hasbro really really showed really showed them that hey, a lot of the community does not align with what we're trying to do here, and they're gonna talk with their money. They're gonna cancel subscriptions and they're just not going to give us the money we want if we do stupid stuff like this so um like i said i don't think it's over either um i don't necessarily mind like them amending the ogl to protect from like that hate speech and and racism transphobia etc i think that's a good thing and being inclusive and bringing people into the community i think i think that's fantastic so i don't necessarily have an issue with that but trying to just rug pull and try to try to claw back and, and take their, their bite of the cake. As Chris said last time, it's just greed. It's just greed. And I think the community showed that we don't really like greedy companies, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, anyways, this, this Gizmodo article, it kind of ends off pretty neatly and uh, just read it out. But ultimately this is a huge victory for the fans. And while the battle is won, the war might not be over. Everyone's waiting to see the four corners of the contract, despite the SRG's entry into the CC creative commons. But the fans are ready, and Wizards of the Coast is going to think twice before poking that particular dragon. Yeah, that was a good way to end that off, for sure. 
um yeah i guess what this shows is community matters so organize when you can and when people bind together for these kinds of causes it it can actually take on these large corporations and it's awesome as always if you need to get in touch with the dm you can dm us on insta twitter facebook or tiktok at dms discuss or via email at dmsdiscuss at gmail.com. And while we may not publish our episodes under Creative Commons, we do publish them right to the feed of your favorite podcatcher app, so make sure you subscribe so you don't miss out. And as always, check the show notes for the sources we talked about in this episode, and we'll catch you after a long rest.